Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of About Abroad, where it's my job to introduce you to people who have built amazing lives for themselves in various foreign corners of the globe. We're talking with expats and thought leaders about moving abroad, remote work, visas, and all the fun and practical knowledge that you need to know to follow in their footsteps. If you've ever dreamed of making a life for yourself overseas, maybe working remotely or embracing long-term travel, retiring or studying abroad, or even just taking a peek inside life beyond your borders, you've landed in the right place. This episode is brought to you by my friends over at eResidency of Estonia. If you're a globetrotting digital nomad, expat, freelancer, or somebody with a business, whether that's just you or an aspiring unicorn like some of the many other unicorns that have come out of Estonia, then look at eResidency of Estonia the next time you're thinking about where to establish your business. eResidency is a digital identity issued by the Republic of Estonia, which is in the European Union, to foreign nationals, that means non-Estonians, giving them digital access to the country's advanced online infrastructure and open business environment. And when I say advanced, I mean advanced. They've been doing digital for decades. E-residents can start a company 100% online from wherever they are in the world, run it remotely, open business bank accounts, and even submit their annual reports all with their electronic ID card. It's literally international business without borders for location-independent entrepreneurs, perfect for the About Abroad audience. The next time you're thinking about where to establish your business, look at e-residency of Estonia via the link in the show notes. Okay, now back to the episode. We spend a lot of time talking about remote work here on About Abroad, and in today's discussion, we take that to a whole different level. My guest today joins me from one of the most remote places in the world. That is the South Pole, very literally the South Pole in Antarctica. And his name is Joe Spins the Globe, or at least that's how he's known across multiple social media platforms where he has millions of followers following his journey living in Antarctica. He walks us through how his life came to be in Antarctica, what he thinks of it now, what he's planning on doing in the future, and how you two could join him in uh, in Antarctica if you chose to. So super fascinating discussion. One of the most interesting interviews I've done so far uh, on this show, and I just I had a blast learning more about what it's like living at the South Pole. We had to do the interview over satellite Wi-Fi, which, uh, as you can imagine, coming from Antarctica is a little bit slow. So we did have a bit of a delay between the two of us, but I think it worked out great. And in the end, uh, it's just a fascinating discussion. So I hope you'll enjoy, and I hope you will help me in welcoming Joe Spins the Globe to About Abroad. Joe, welcome to About Abroad. How are you doing, my friend? Good, Chase. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm uh, I'm pretty stoked for this conversation, I have to be honest, because I, uh, I jokingly said in the intro to my last season that uh, we pretty much touched on all corners of the world so far, except for Antarctica, kind of thinking like, ha ha, yeah, like well, we'll never get to Antarctica. But I said, if you know anybody that that's living in Antarctica, send them my way because uh, that would be like that, that would check that last box for me. And here we are talking to you living in Antarctica. And uh, you are literally the first person that I've ever met that's been to Antarctica. So I'm super excited to learn from you what life is like down there. Very cool. Yeah, it's definitely a super unique place. People call it the harshest environment on earth. It's it's definitely a trip. I've actually wanted to get down here since I was a little kid. Um, I never dreamed I'd get to the South Pole. I thought maybe I'd take a trip to the coast somewhere. But a lot of stars aligned for me to get down here and live and work um, for uh, for a nine-month contract. And um, yeah, I'm super happy to be on the show and share with you what uh, what the life is like down here. That's sweet. Uh, what's the when you say that? That's kind of int- that's like a very interesting point right off the the top there. Like the coast and the South Pole. I think some people might think like, oh, Antarctica, South Pole, synonymous, but like yes. the coast is quite far from the actual pole. So describe that to somebody because it's it's not super, super difficult to take like a boat, I guess, from the south of South America or something to get to Antarctica and just touch the coastline and go back. But you're like deep in the interior, right? Right, right. So actually, I didn't realize that distinction was such a um, misunderstanding until I started my TikTok. And then I, you know, I'd say I'm living at the South Pole, da, 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 in my, all my videos. 
And then I just get all these comments. They're like, where in the South Pole are you? And I, was, I realized that people don't realize the South Pole is one, you know, distinct point of land, which is where we are pretty far into the interior of the, of the continent, but the continent itself of Antarctica. And I encourage anybody look, or listening to this to look at a map um, and just to check it out to see if you see where all the lines of longitude converge and a giant X or star, that's right where the South Pole is. That's right where we are. It's definitely off center from the continent. There's actually a large swath of the continent that's uh, a, that we're off center from that's actually more towards South America. Well, let's see. I have to double check myself on that. Actually, it might be more towards the Indian Ocean or uh, more towards South America, uh, South Atlantic. I mean, um, but anyway, we're, the point is we're off center from um, the center of the continent, but um, the South Pole is not synonymous with Antarctica. The Antarct Antarctica Antarctica is a continent that's about the size of the USA and Mexico put together. So it's huge, very, very big. And most of it is the same. It's just this high altitude, you know, 9,300 feet or about 2,800 meters um, height in altitude. And it's just this flat plateau of ice and snow, um, millions of square miles of just that going on forever and ever at the size of the US. So try to wrap your brain around that. And that's what Antarctica is. Um, I am at the South Pole where all the lines of longitude of the globe converge. Um, we're not too far from the coast. It's about three hours flight from the, co the coastal station McMurdo. And that's by propeller plane. Um, so we're not, I want to say we're 800 miles from McMurdo. So not super far considering the entire continent is about 3000 miles across uh, in most places. So yeah, it, we're not on the coast, uh, but South Pole is definitely a distinct spot. Antarctica is the entire continent, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it does. Um, and it probably clears up a little bit of confusion. So let's, uh, yeah, let's just, I, I want to know the backstory because, you know, it's not a, I get a lot of people on the show here is like, yeah, you know, I moved to, Bali. I moved to California from France. I moved to sure. Brazil from, you know, uh, Mexico or whatever. But like you moved to Antarctica, like one of the most remote places yeah. on earth. And I know you're not there for forever, but I mean, it's a super interesting story. So what's the backstory and, and what are you doing there? Sure. So I am, um, I'm a physician assistant by trade in the US and a handful of other countries. That's kind of like a a mid-level doctor. Like I work under a doctor, but I can do most of the things that they can do. So there's myself and a, and a station doctor here, and we basically provide medical support for the crew. We're not super busy because there's only 40 people on the station and they're mostly healthy. But in the US, that's a four year, you have to get your undergraduate four year degree, and then it's a master's program to get that uh, title, the physician assistant title. Um, I During my training, I actually was taught by a guy who was a doctor in the 80s down here at the South Pole. And I was just inspired by his experience. And ever since then, I just was just, well, I've always thought Antarctica was really cool. But then once I heard him talking about it, I saw this like pathway of me getting down here. That was about six years ago, uh, five or six years ago. I've tried ever since to get down here. I had to get a little bit more experience, you know, relevant experience, you know, doing medicine in really remote places. Uh, and then just this opportunity opened up this year and I applied for probably the fifth time and um, somebody else retired and I jumped in. So um, I do feel like I got to skip a few steps because usually there's kind of like an order where you might work at the coastal station for a year or two, and then maybe you'll work your way up to here. And I kind of skipped a few steps and got to jump right here, which I feel super lucky, but that's, that's, uh, not every job here. Actually, most jobs don't require, you know, an advanced degree. Um, you can come here and wash dishes. You can work in supply and logistics, which means you're basically, checking inventory and bringing boxes up from the storage up to the main station. Um, if you're a chef, you can work in the kitchen. You know, there's all sorts of jobs, plumbers, electricians. Um, you know, we're basically a whole society down here in our little spaceship and we need all sorts of people to keep it running. So uh, I'm just the medical <laughs> part of that. And um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how it led up to here. I, uh, I just has always been fascinated with coming down here. And um, just real quick, I, when I told people I was coming down here, and it it really divided people. I felt like about half of everybody said, you know, immediately got it. Like they just understood the sense of adventure and why I'd want to come down here. And like, it's, it's just really cool. Right. And then the other half were just like, why would you want to do that? And like, I could explain 
my head off to them about why I wanted to do it. And they still wouldn't get it. So it's like you either get it or you don't um, about why you'd want to come down here. It's basically, do you want to go to the most remote place on earth with a sense of adventure, stand somewhere where nobody else has ever stood before in history, you know, uh, or do you just want to stay warm and don't, don't get that at all? You know, it, it very much divides people. It seems like anyway, that was kind of a tangent, but there yeah, you go. Yeah. I, I no, it's a, it's an interesting tangent. And I mean, even on like a smaller scale, you know, you get that when, when, uh, you know, I just simply moved to, to Spain and mm-hmm. I've got people in my life that are like, you know, why would you leave the comfort of the U S and the, the stability that you have and X, Y, Z. And, right. you know, I think there's, we crave, uh, we kind of crave getting out of the comfort zone. Some people do. Yeah. And actually it, it, there was this really awesome, this guy, I, that I listened to on Joe Rogan's podcast that you, you might know the name or have heard of him. He walked across Antarctica with a sled, um, like pulling a sled, I guess. And he was saying on the show, he was like, you know, somebody, people say like, why do you keep doing this stuff to yourself? You know, like why he does all kinds of like crazy stuff like that. And, uh, and he's like, you know, you can, you can live on the spectrum between one and 10, you know, where like one is super uncomfortable and 10 is like, really comfortable. And he's like, you know, people tend to live in that middle section. He's like, I'd rather have a lot of ones and a, and a handful of tens and, and, uh, and just kind of like enjoy life. So I, I get it. Like that really resonated with me. Yeah, no, it's like, that's exactly it. Like, do you want to just sit in your little corner of the world and work a nine to five and, uh, you know, put in your time. And if people want to do that, absolutely. That's, you know, I'm not, do- I'm not knocking that at all. Like definitely the world, not everybody can be, uh, you know, world traveling adventure or else probably the world would stop functioning. But, um, I think, you know, for the people that want to, but don't let themselves, that's the sad part. Like those people need to actually take the leap and actually try to do something. That's, that's what I hope they do. Yeah, absolutely, man. You got to chase that dream. Um, exactly. what, what was it like? Uh, well, actually I have got, I have so many questions, but sure. let me, let's, uh, some, some basics here. Uh, what, so what is the, what are you guys doing there? Like, what is this and, and who, and who are you kind of like working for? What's the entity? Is it the U S government or is it a private entity or, sure. uh, and, and then like, what is the purpose of the, of this society being there? Sure. Um, so we are here, the primary, the only reason, like reason we're here is for science. Um, and the kind of science we do down here is astronomy or astrophysical science. Uh, so we have some big uh, telescopes here that look at the remnants from the Big Bang, um, which is the cosmic microwave background. Um, and they just do studies on that to analyze it, to try to try to find out more about our universe, how it started, how it, where it's going. And there's some pretty big uh, microwave telescopes here that are, that are looking at that. And the reason that here is an ideal location is that... Um, a, we have basically the clearest skies in the world. We, we have more clear skies than, you know, just about anywhere else. Um, we're, we're a desert, so we never get any precipitation. We never uh, get any rain or legitimate snowfall. There is some ice crystals that just kind of trickle out of the sky constantly, but um, they're not very consequential. So it's great for observing um, the sky and the fact that the way the polar day and night works, we only get one day and one night per year that each lasts six months long. And so we actually just had our uh, sunrise for the year a few days ago. Um, and what happens is, is it confuses everybody. I've made several animations about this on my TikTok because it's very confusing for people. But basically what happens is, um, f- from our point of view, the sun uh, goes around, like basically spirals upward. And the, the, at the point where it crosses the horizon, it's actually going around the horizon and then finally goes up and up and up until the summer solstice. And then it starts coming back down again. And then at the fall equinox is when it, sunset happens and it actually dips below the horizon. Um, anyways, for the six months of night, we have basically unobstructed views of the sky. And so the telescopes get even better data during that time. Uh, we also have tons of auroras. There's lots of auroras, like Aurora Australis or the Northern Lights, Southern Lights. People are familiar with it, that name. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a lot of studies on those because um, they're super frequent here. And then um, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. So NOAA 
I mean, people are familiar with NOAA because they predict hurricanes and stuff like that. Um, so NOAA has a station down here where they uh, employ two scientists year-round, uh, three in the summer, actually, I think. And they take air samples, analyze the CO2 levels, see like if, um, you know, like human-made pollution is, is causing an increase in CO2 levels down here. Because as you can imagine, there's no, there's no large sources of pollution on Antarctica. There's like us with our station generators. There's a few other stations dotted around a continent that's the size, you know, bigger than the U.S. So you imagine we're basically, there's basically no pollution here. Um, but we do get it filtered in from the rest of the world. So if we measure the CO2 here, we can kind of get a worldwide average. If it's creeping up, then we know that um, CO2 levels are just creeping up worldwide. Um, so that's one thing they do. They study the ozone as well and the ozone hole here at the South Pole. Over Antarctica, um, that's about it. There's some seismology uh, experiments where if there's an earthquake somewhere in the world, the waves actually kind of echo and reverberate down here, and we can help. You know, adding adding our data to other uh, earthquake sensors around the world, we can kind of help pinpoint where the earthquake came from. So yeah, such a unique place. Like, yep. is there a governing body for Antarctica, or yeah, I, is there I, like like like, how is it you guys can have this kind of base there? And you said there's other ones dotted around. I, su- I am kind of supposing that they have ties to governments around the world. Sure. Can like, you know, if, if uh, Chile wants to put a base on Antarctica, can they just do that? Or how, yeah. how is this governed? Chile actually has a few bases here. So it's governed by the uh, Antarctic Treaty, which was a treaty that like uh, 12 different countries came together and signed back in 1956. And they basically said... Um, no one can make any future land claims to Antarctica. Nobody's going to make it a, na- a nation or a national territory. It's going to be a no man's land. Um, we're preserving it for science. We're preserving it. Um, at, can't do any weapons testing, no nuclear testing. Cause that was big back in the fifties when the cold war was kicking off. Um, but basically the only people down here and the only stations down here are government entities. So for us, we are, at the top level is the U.S. government, and then they, part of the U.S. government is the National Science Foundation, or NSF. Uh, and then under them is the U.S. Antarctic Program, or USAP. And then USAP subcontracts um, to everybody that works here. So I actually, my direct employer is the University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston, that UTMB. Um, University of Texas actually is the subcontractor that provides all the medical support for all the U.S. stations. Um, but there's, you know, probably seven or eight companies total that subcontract to provide all the different services. But it's the U.S. Antarctic Program and the National Science Foundation that um, are the big are the big overall heads of these stations and direct our research, direct, uh, and, you know, give us direction for where we're going with this. So um, for other nations, they all have pretty similar structures. Usually it's, you know, their government, then their science uh, department uh, figures out, you know, how to support their stations down here. But there are a lot of stations. Some of them are seasonal. Um, actually, a lot of them are seasonal. Um, there are only, let's see, 22, 20, maybe 24 stations that are actually occupied throughout the entire winter, um, which is probably more than most people realize. The U- U.S. has three stations. And then, um, uh, let's see, we have Chile. Italy, France, Russia, South Africa, UK, and I'm trying to think if there's any other nations represented. I'm probably forgetting one. Sorry if anybody from that country is listening. In China? China does, actually. Yeah, China has two stations, I think. Yep. Um, Japan. Um, actually. Russia? Russia does. Russia definitely. Russia actually has the closest station to us. They have a um, Vostok station, which is even further out in the middle of nowhere than we are. Um, I think they're about 700 <laughs> how miles. Close, how close is the closest station? 700 like miles in, away. In terms yeah. of travel there. Yeah. So 700 I mean, miles. The yeah. closest station 700 miles away. Yes. Yes. 700 miles away is the closest station to That's us. That's your neighbor. That's our neighbor, basically. Yeah. People have asked, hey, do you ever, do you have other countries down there? Do you ever stop by, you know, and say hi? I'm like, yeah, well, they're 700 miles away. So 
it's kind of hard to stop by for coffee or vodka or whatever. Yeah, I was I was envisioning like, you know, oh, like on the weekends, all the stations get together, you know, people from the <laughs> stations probably get together and have dinner, you know, you talk with your Chinese counterparts. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and, and nope, that's no. Nope. Although <laughs> I will say, yeah, that's true out here on the actual continent, you know, off away from the coast, it's not really like that. Um, McMurdo Station, which is the biggest station, it's the U.S. station, but it's kind of like our headquarters for everything on the continent. Um, there is just literally just around the corner, like half a mile, probably half a mile away, uh, or a kilometer away from McMurdo is a, a New Zealand station called Scott base. Uh, and they are, they're pretty friendly. And so there is a lot of like socialization and, and commingling going on there between McMurdo and Scott base. Um, but those are the only two real nearby that I know of. Yeah. The Kiwis are usually pretty friendly. They're, no, they're, they're liked cool. everywhere they go. Um, yeah, they are. Including they're... Antarctica. Yeah. How many people in total, like if you just rough number, like are on the continent at any given time? Like, is it hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands? I have no clue. It's very seasonal. Um, and it even the seasonal numbers were also affected by COVID. So this winter was probably the lowest population on the continent that we've had for a long time. So let's say there's a, there's 40 here, 150-ish over winter at McMurdo. And I really doubt all the other stations put together put the number over 500. So under 500, four or 500 people total on the continent over winter. Now, since we're getting a better handle on COVID, people are getting vaccinated and summer's coming around. And a lot of scientists put their research on hold this summer and winter because of COVID. Like they've all got to come back to it, you know, because you lose a year of data. It's not the worst thing in the world. You lose two years, like your, your study's done. Like there's no trend. You can, you can, you can't paint that line very well if you're missing two years of data. Everybody's coming back and I expect it's going to be well over a thousand, probably, probably over summer because McMurdo itself will have four to 500. I'm, I'm guessing, I think they have about 300 now and they're getting more. So yeah, that's about a rough number. I don't think there's ever more than 2000 on the continent ever at one time or has been, but I could be wrong. I'm not, I'm not an encyclopedia on an epic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but at a place that's roughly the size of North America, uh, might, or like the U S and Mexico, I mean, you're talking about 2000 people. It's, it's pretty, uh, pretty sparsely populated. It's, uh, and I, I will, I wanted to go back to the the sunrise sunset thing you mentioned because I, I did I understand you correctly that basically like the sun basically rises once every six months and sets once every six months and so it's light for six months and then total darkness for six months is that that's correct, correct. yeah and it's maybe a misnomer to say rise because like I said it really it really moves in a spiral around the horizon and if it's the spring equinox, which we just had here in the Southern hemisphere, then it's doing a slowly rising spiral until it gets to a certain point in the sky in the middle of the summer, the summer solstice, and then it starts slowly spiraling down. So I haven't seen a normal day and night since, uh, since January, really, since I was in San Francisco or since I was in Christchurch, I guess. Um, like it's, I've become so used to, either total darkness or the sun just moving horizontally in the, in the sky that uh, I think it's going to be weird when I go back home and see an actual sunrise and sunset, like in a 24 hour period, it's, it's going to blow my mind, you know, cause I've gotten so used to it. We'll be right back to the show after a quick break for a note from our sponsor. This season is brought to you by my good friends over at insured nomads. They're the absolute best in the business when it comes to providing health, travel, and medical insurance for nomads, expats, and really just all forms of world travelers. I know insurance is often something that's overlooked when we're fantasizing about traveling the world, but it's absolutely necessity that we address this because often the policy you have in your home country isn't going to cover you while you're abroad. And it's also a requirement, as a lot of people may not realize, to actually buy private travel or expat insurance, as it's called sometimes to obtain a visa or even enter certain countries. So fortunately, there are companies like Insured Nomads to help us with this. Not only do they have excellent coverage and great prices, but they're also providing a first-class experience with additional perks and best-in-class technology via their app. It's, a, it's an amazing experience. I can't recommend it enough. 
Now, this is a company that was built by world travelers for world travelers. So they know what it's like to find yourself in a difficult medical situation abroad, and they want to keep you from having that same bad experience. So the next time you're planning a trip abroad, whether it's for a week or a lifetime, check out Insured Nomads via the link in the show notes. Okay, now back to the episode. What was it like when you saw the sun for the first time after, how, how long did you go without sun? And then what was that like when the sun rose? Was it, it just like, did it, did it, I'm, I'm yeah, so, yeah it, just, I'll let you go with it. It, yeah, bordered on a religious experience, I would say, because we, because the sun goes down at the fall, at the, um, our fall equinox, which is in March, March 22nd, it's still a little light, uh, you know, for about five, six weeks after that, you know, you, as you imagine, like when anytime you've seen a, seen a sunset, it doesn't get dark as soon as the sun goes down. Like you have the afterglow and, you know, twilight and everything. And so the twilight period for us lasts about five or six weeks and then it gets totally dark. Um, and of course, the night sky looks amazing. The auroras, the southern lights look amazing. Um, but after a while, it starts to wear on you. You know, you're like, I haven't seen the sun in a long time. You have like these um, full spectrum uh sun lamps that you we give everybody to use to kind of help your body make up for the lack of that type of sun that type of light um but then when you start seeing the glow come back it's weird like i like at the end of the darkness period like i just felt so low energy like my body just felt like it wanted to hibernate i was sleeping like twice as much as i normally do and i don't like that i don't like to sleep more than i need to um i was taking naps all the time my mood was a bit lower and you know, anybody listening to this will probably recognize that that's a lot of symptoms of like seasonal affective disorder, which obviously is very easy to get here because we have six, six months of darkness. So I was definitely experiencing a little, a little bit of that, but then you start to see the glow come back and it's just all that just start turning around Well, for me, at least immediately. Uh, I just started feeling more energy, sleeping less. And then when you actually like a few days ago, when we actually saw like the sun just starting to beam in through the windows, it was just, it was amazing. It was uh, like, you forget what it looks like, which sounds really weird because you see pictures of it. We watch movies obviously here and you see the sunlight in movies, but like actually feeling like the strength of the sun hits you in the face and like in the eyes and like in your sight. I don't know. It's, 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 it's a different feeling and one that can't be replaced by anything. And you almost forget what it's like until, you, you know, in the six months between seeing it. So uh, definitely... Uh, a mind-blowing experience to go that long without it and then suddenly seeing it again yeah uh, it, it's hard to describe but it's just the the brightness of it the colors like yeah it's uh you appreciate it so much more than you would a normal sunrise i'll just leave it at that i guess i guess i like i can imagine when you do go back to like more of your a more normal life. Like you probably will never take a sunrise for granted again, <laughs> yeah. as, or at least for a while. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I will. Um, I mean, I, I don't think, I don't know if I ever did in the past, but I definitely won't now. I'm definitely Florida born and raised and I've always loved seeing the sunsets, uh, you know, over the water there on the Gulf coast. But um, yeah, I definitely won't take it. Take it for granted. Now, the upside, though, of not seeing the sun for so long and the sun being so slow to rise is that we've really been having a sunrise here for about the past three or four days. And so you get that cool light, you know, on the cool. horizon, you get like all the cool colors as the sun's beaming through the clouds. Um, so we've been just been taking a ton of pictures. Um, so it really is like the whole a whole 24 hour day in, you know, normal places on Earth is just smeared out over you know, a whole year instead. <laughs> and so any, any process that happens during normal days just happens over, you know, if, if, a if the disc of the sun getting above the horizon takes, you know, three, four minutes or whatever in the rest, rest of the world, it takes two days here. Um, so you just get to wake up and be like, Oh yeah, sun's inched a little bit higher above the horizon today. Cool. All right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the other thing, weird thing is too, is, um, I hadn't seen my shadow for, you know, six months. And so actually just going outside and like seeing oh, shadows yeah. of buildings, seeing my own shadow was, was weird actually. I mean, that's another thing. It's like, it's nothing I would have ever thought about and I didn't ever think, Oh, I missed my shadow. But, uh, just going outside and actually seeing shadows was, was strange. Yeah. 
That's something I would have never thought to consider, but uh, it takes these kind of experiences to to give you that that sort of perspective, I guess. Like to appreciate your shadow, that's a that's a pretty unique <laughs> thing. Uh, what yeah. what else do you uh, like? Like what else do you feel that like like for instance? Okay, so we so people listening don't know this yet, but like we you get like I think you you told me two hours of Wi Fi or something like that. You can correct me on the number if I'm if I'm wrong. But like, what else do you sort of Okay. Five hours. Okay. I was off, but like we had to line this up for a certain time. It's kind of, it's late where you are. So like, what else are you sort of limited on and like, like what, what differentiates Antarctica aside from the fact that you're in one of the most remote places in the world on an ice plateau at the South pole? Um, what, what else is sort of like limited and differentiates it from normal life? Sure. So, I mean, we are extremely remote, obviously. Um, our satellite internet is last five hours a day. Our good internet lasts five hours a day. Um, we get a couple hours of spotty, uh, pretty bad internet other parts of the day. But um, other limitations we have, probably the one most people would mention that live here, are is that from February uh, to October um, is what we call station close for winter. And it's not that we leave, we stay here, but no transports come in and out. Like nobody can actually leave, like go in, you know, go or come here. And we also don't get any shipments in that time, you know, for a good six, seven months. So, uh, we don't get any fresh fruit, fresh food. As far as that goes, we, um, we do get have a greenhouse so we can grow some greens as far as like spinach and lettuce and some herbs. So at least we have that. But um, as far as fresh fruit, um, fresh vegetables, most of those we basically ran out in, in April. And so imagine, you know, going months and months without an apple or an orange or banana. And I'm a big fruit eater. Like I eat fruits and nuts all the time when I'm at home. Um, and so that was a big adjustment for you. Like no, no fresh food. Um, everything's, everything's basically frozen or comes out of the greenhouse. Uh, other limitations is that you just, you, the only way of communicating with the outside world is via the internet. And um, you should probably be a, a kind of a people person because you're stuck with, like I'm stuck with 38 other people here in, in the station, which is a pretty big station. Um, but it's really you can't really get away from people. You know, if you hate somebody, then avoiding them, you can maybe avoid one person, but if there's any more than that, like you're probably going to have a bad time. <laughs> so you're limited in where you can go. There's no escape. Like if you, if you really just hate the place or you hate the people or something, and then you're kind of screwed, which I don't, I love it here. What else? On that note, let me ask, what's the, what's the sleeping situation like? Like, like what's the infrastructure? Like, do you have like, I'm imagining you, you each don't have your own little white picket fence, uh, suburban style house. So yeah, good. What, uh, what are you, what are you living in? Good point. Um, so the, the station is divided into pods. Two of those pods are strictly, um, rooms, dorms, basically. Um, everybody gets their own room, but they're pretty small. I think it's about, I want to say it's seven by 10 maybe is your room. And it's basically big enough for a bed, a desk and your dresser and a closet. And so it's, it's pretty small, but it's funny because when I first got here, I looked at my room, I was like, man, this is tiny. Like this is tinier than like a cruise, like a room on a cruise ship or something, you know, but it's really weird. You adapt to the space. Like after living here for months now, I'm like, this is fine. Like I, I feel like I have plenty of room, but I also don't spend a whole lot of time in my room. So the uh, bathrooms are shared. You don't have an in-room, you know, in-suite bathroom or anything like that. So at the, um, at the entrance to each pod, there's men and women's uh, bathrooms with showers in there. Uh, so that's kind of the living situation. Everybody has their own room. Um, luckily or fortunately in the winter, our population is low enough that you can actually take over a second room if you want to use for storage, you know, put extra furniture in there you don't want or extra luggage, get it out of your way. Um, because there's only 39 people here and we have a capacity of 150 to 180 if we really stretch it. So we have lots of room to stretch out and, uh, and lots of room just to be on your own and find your own space too, which is nice. I'm, I've thought about the fact of like, would I come back in the summer and I'm not sure I'd be able to deal with that many people around the station after, after having gotten used to it being so quiet around here all the time. Um, cause I kind of like that. 
but I don't know, maybe in the future. I'll, yeah. You've kind of had like your own little village to yourself in a way. And then like all the, all the people come rushing in you're like, what are you doing? You're treading on my territory here. <laughs> but you know, that, I think that happens for everybody. Like I'm sure the people that felt like that when I came in here. So yeah, that's a living situation. Um, the shower, I'll just touch on another quick thing uh, is the showering situation is most people on station because we, because we have to melt our water from the ice and from the snow, we actually have this well, this big cylindrical well, you know, well away from the station where we um, pump like hot water in, melt ice, and then pump pump everything out. And that's where our water comes from. So we try to conserve it because it takes energy to do that. Uh, so most people on station are limited to two showers a week. And they're asked to limit those to two minutes each. So if you have a lot of hair or wow. something, you, yeah, you might, you might, one, one shower might be actually washing your body. The next shower might be you're like washing your hair or something. I don't have any hair, so it's a little bit easier for me, or at least I get rid of it anyways. So, uh, you know, if you have a particularly dirty job, like if you're a mechanic in the vehicle maintenance facility and you get greasy every day or something, then you can shower more often. Or if you work in the food services, if you're the chef, then you're allowed to shower every day just because everybody's, everybody's fine with the people making your food being as clean as possible. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that that person we want we want bathed and, and sanitized uh, as, as often as possible. I'll give up my shower for the chef to have his shower. Exactly right. Nobody nobody side eyes them for having more showers than them. Everybody understands that part. What's the what mentioning the chef? What's the what about the eating situation? Do you guys is it like a mess hall kind of thing or like an is the, I mean you, I know you're sh- I know you're short on fruits and vegetables and stuff, but is the is the food decent? Yeah, I think it's really dependent on who you have in the so we call it the galley. And that's kind of a holdover term from when this was a Navy base like 50 years ago. Um, There's a lot of nautical terms that actually go around the station. um, But it's really the cafeteria is what it is. um, But we call it the galley. It really depends on the galley sounds cooler. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it really depends on the chefs you have chefs you have working um, this year this winter we've actually had some really awesome um, chefs like all three of them are really good really talented um, really good at just making the best out of everything we have because like I said most everything basically everything we have now is frozen unless it came out of the greenhouse and they will take that and turn it into something amazing really no complaints like you could complain about the lack of uh, fresh fruit or something, but that's, that's definitely out of their hands, but, uh, they do an amazing job with what they have. And I, I think they deserve a, a ton of credit. They have even, so certain times of the year, we have special events like our sunset dinner or our midwinter dinner or our sunrise dinner that we just had uh, last weekend. And I'll, some of the chefs have actually brought like specialized supplies from home, like of their own by themselves in their own luggage, you know, to be able to make something special for us. Like one, of our chefs brought all this gold flake, like real gold flake that he could make, um, put on desserts and stuff to just make something extra special. And uh, yeah, they just, they just really go the extra mile. And I think that does a huge amount for morale on station, uh, especially as the winter months drag on. So. Yeah, yeah. I can, I can imagine. Yeah. Uh, and, and how about like, uh, how about social life? Like, sure. like you mentioned the people, you know, that you, you gotta be, kind of you got to not hate each other is you're in a you're 40 people in a small space yeah uh but do you is it is there some camaraderie there like do you guys have do you have some fun or is it just like work and sleep and eat and or what's that like no actually we do we do a fair like our we keep a fairly full social schedule um which is good because as you can imagine being so isolated and being cold a lot of the times if you're going outside and being without sunlight like just maintaining your sanity can be a part-time job so, uh, you know, everybody has like the click that they kind of fit in with better, but generally everybody gets along. Um, we do a ton of community events and do a lot of holidays, you know, like July 4th, we'll, we did a big, like, um, kind of like a county fair style thing in the gym where we had a chili cook off and like all these kind of carnival games that we made up and stuff like that. That was really fun. And we will do a weekly, every week we do sci-fi Sundays where we'll, you know, watch a few episodes of a sci-fi series that we're going through. Um, Saturdays, uh, actually we just finished Marvel movie nights on Saturdays. We're going through the entire Marvel movie catalog, which was really fun. There's all sorts of card game tournaments. There's, I think actually tomorrow's two of our, um, two of my colleagues are actually putting on bingo, 
a bingo night and um some of us have taken it on ourselves to actually dress up as old people and do like you know wrinkles as for makeup and everything like that so we try to make things as fun as possible I'm, i'll probably watch or hear this interview in like a year and be like man that sounds so lame but um it's really just it really you know it's maybe it's not the thing itself it's just the fact that everybody does it and does it wholeheartedly you know and everybody's like really into whatever function we're doing and that definitely adds to the camaraderie, helps the morale, like builds all the all the social um, social bridges and everything. That's it, man. I mean, we 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 crave that as humans. Like we we just want to be, we just want to belong a little bit, and uh, and so having that sense of community is is super important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'll I'm sensing maybe that you're going to ask a follow up question about dating, so I'll just go ahead and cover that as well. So a lot of people. <laughs> A lot of people have asked me that on my TikTok as well. Is like, are you allowed to date? A lot of people on my TikTok too have asked, uh, you know, are you allowed to date? Is like dating forbidden or whatever? And my response is like, even if it was forbidden, I'm pretty sure it would still happen. Like you can't, you can't keep people apart, you know. But uh, so, so dating is allowed. You know, any kind of relationship that people want to have, they can have. People are, tend to be a little bit more muted about it here than in the real world because. Um, a, you know, most people that come down here are heterosexual. We represent kind of a fair amount of the fair representation of like the normal world population. So that being said, the uh, ratio of men to women down here is usually pretty abysmal. It's usually like one to four or one to five women to men. So it's not <laughs> like, you know, you shouldn't, if you do end up dating someone or being with somebody, you shouldn't just be like flaunting it in front of everybody else who's maybe missing their wife or girlfriend back home or you know, is single, but, you know, struck out with the girls that were here when they had the chance at the beginning of the season or something like that. So, you know, it's good to be conscientious and not, you know, try to try to make out and do PDA in front of everybody in the galley or something like that, you know, be, be discreet, be conscientious. Um, but definitely it does happen. Um, a lot of people ask me for the details. I can't really talk about the details. It's people's private lives and everything. So, um, but it definitely, it definitely yeah, does happen. Yeah. I, I won't go. I won't go too deep into that, but I'm glad yeah. you shared that because that is a that is an interesting real part of of life. And uh, when you're when you're kind of isolated with just 40 people, it's kind of slim picking. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's that's good to touch on. Yeah, and a lot of people have spouses or significant others back home. Um, and I I couldn't imagine doing that. I couldn't do that uh, personally. Having a significant other back home that I just you know get to talk to every once in a while, or I'm not a really long distance kind of relationship person, but this is this is long distance to another level on top of that. So, um, yeah, yeah. there is uh, there's also three, uh, three gay men on station. Two of them are a couple. So, I mean, there is that contingent as well. Um, but you know, it's just, I don't, I guess I would tell, I would tell people coming down here, don't come down here expecting to meet somebody because the chances are probably slim, you know, just resign yeah. yourself to the fact that you're probably going to be single if you start single, you're going to be single for the whole time. you're here. So that's all I got to say about that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's a really, really good point. And, uh, actually perfect kind of segue into like, what does someone who wants to go this route, like what, what advice would you give to somebody who's like hearing this and is like, yeah, I've always wanted to go to Antarctica too. Like I'm, I'm called to it just like Joe. Yeah. Uh, how, how does one kind of follow in your footsteps? Sure. Um, so the first thing is, um, is that don't feel intimidated or don't feel like oh, I could never do something like that or um, that it requires some, you don't have to be a scientist to come down here. Actually, only a minority of the people here are scientists. I want to say that there's seven, eight scientists out of a crew of 39. Um, you don't have to have a bachelor's degree. You can have just be experienced in a trade like plumber, electrician, um, chef, anything like that. Um, because we, we have a whole community down here. So we need a whole community complement of jobs. Uh, and not just here, but in McMurdo, you know, McMurdo has the same kind of thing. And um, they actually have a wider spectrum of jobs like firefighters and uh, search and rescue pilots, you know, things like that. Like, so if you're interested, I would definitely, um, the easiest way probably is to Google uh USAP, USAP contracting jobs or contractors. And that can get you to a page that tells you all the different contractors. And then you can kind of hit those up, hit up those subcontractors to see what jobs are available. The other way to go about it would be to search uh, Lidos, L-E-I-D-O-S 
contractors or contracting jobs Antarctica. Um, and that would probably be, get you to the page that would show you what jobs that Lidos, which is the overarching contractor, uh, you know, jobs they have on offer. Um, between those two and doing some shrewd Googling, you should be able to figure out what you're looking for. Uh, if you're looking to do the medical side like me, I can tell you that it, you can Google UTMB, uh, University of Texas Medical Branch, uh, Antarctica or, or Polar Meta Polar Operations Center, and they can um, you can find uh, the job postings on there for either PA, physician assistant, um, nurse practitioner, or uh, medical doctor. And I think. You know, that's a pretty good start. I, the f- biggest thing I would say is just don't be intimidated. Don't feel like you you can't do it because tons of people have. Tons of people have come down here and just been a dishwasher or uh, uh, been somebody who's in charge of waste. Basically, you know, it empties the trash, sorts the trash into recycling and, you know, that kind of thing. So um, we need all types down here. You don't have to be some high-powered scientist to get here. That's a that's a really cool point to make. Like, I, I'm pretty sure, myself included and everybody listening, you probably imagine, like, you know, you have like to get this opportunity, you have to be some Uber of some Uber high skill level and some super serious profession, but it is true. It's like a little microcosm of a civilization that you need, you need everybody from the trash collector to the, to the scientist, to the surgeon. Right. And, um, that's, that's super interesting. Yeah, it's, that's exactly right. What, uh, and what do most people do? And maybe, maybe also you can touch on what your plans do. Like, do most people just come do a season like nine months? Uh, I know it sounds like some people stay, you know, year round, but what's the general kind of flow? Like, you know, after nine months, do you, you rotate off and you never come back or do people do seasonal work and constantly come back? It's a mix of both actually. So there's definitely people that just come down here, do a season here or at McMurdo and be like, yep, I'm good. I'm never going back. And just wanted the one time experience of it. Um, There's other people that are just like, you know, I kind of want to make a life out of this and people that have come back, you know, 10, 12 times. Uh, That's kind of the high end. Um, I think the most, person who's repeated the most here so far is our meteorologist who's been here for four or five winters, I think. That's another job, meteorologist. And I think most people, this is actually, we have a very young new crew this time. So I think most people, this is their first winter. Um, But it just really depends. Some people really resonate with the kind of life you have down here with the community and the job you do. um, And it just, it really works for them and they keep coming back. And uh, for me personally, I could definitely see myself doing this again. I don't think I would come back immediately next winter and they haven't asked me to yet. So I'm, I, I'm glad I don't have to like turn them down because to come back next winter, uh, the process would have to start in January and you'd be back here in February, mm-hmm. you know, which would give me, you know, basically a month and a half off back home before I'd come right back. And I think that's a little bit too intense for me. I would love to come back the next year or the year after that for the winter or something, um, or even a summer contract. So basically there's the three month summer contract and then there's the nine month winter contract. And, um, basically the roles are the same. There's a few more jobs during the summer because it's busier. We're actually getting flights in and out. The science experiments are getting upgrades and getting worked on. Um, the stations itself is getting worked on a little bit upgraded. So a lot more happens. A lot more people are employed during the summer. But the longest that USAP, the US Antarctic program, likes to employ people is for just two consecutive contracts, like a summer and winter or winter summer. Usually it's summer or winter, uh, but like a year. And then they're like, okay, go home. Like you've been here too long. You start to get a little weird, a little wonky. Um, they call it the 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 slang here in Antarctica is called toasty. If you've been here too long, you've get you've gotten toasty. Um so there have been exceptions to that. I think the longest anybody's ever stayed here at the South Pole is 540 days. Uh, but that's a, that's a wild exception. Like generally it's a year and then you go back home. Um, it's only if you're in an essential position and your replacement and your replacement's replacement can't make it down here kind of thing that you're staying that long. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a mix. Uh, people like just do a one-off and say that I'm good. And then uh, some people repeat. I'd like to, I'd like to repeat like one more time, I think. And then I'd probably be good. I feel like there's a few projects that I wanted to do that I never got around to here during my time. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, my, it's kind of where I'm at with that. 
Yeah, and, and so people that rotate, like people that do that kind of one-on, one-off sort of thing is not to get too personal into like the financials of it, but I mean, just in general, is it one of those things where like, like some people go and work on an oil rig for three months and then they go back and they chill for three months. Yeah. Um, is it sort of that kind of mindset, like where you're like, oh, I worked for nine months and now I got three months off or yeah. is it, 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 am I, am I off base there? No, I think that's, that's pretty fair for a lot of people when they take this contract for winter and then they have the time off. Um, I definitely think if you did the nine months on three months off, you'd, you'd probably in, in the mode of saving a lot of money, you probably have some goals for your savings there because you're going to, you're going to save money. Like being here, you have almost no expenses. The only expenses you have, the only thing you can spend money on is at the store. And that's basically, if you want to buy a South Pole hoodie, you want to buy some postcards or you want to buy some alcohol. And that's, that's basically your expenses. <laughs> Everything else is taken care of. Like even the essentials, to, the essentials, yeah. the, um, you know, all your food is provided for free. You know, it's unlimited. Like however much you want to eat, you can eat, you know, coffee, all your, all your essentials are taken care of. Basically, even you go down to the laundry room and, um, you know, all the, all the machines are complimentary free, the uh, laundry detergent and the fabric softener is free and provided for you. So everything for your, everything for your health and wellness here is provided for. If you want to poison yourself with some alcohol or buy some souvenirs, that's on you. And you got to spend money for that, but yeah, that's you have very few expenses, so not in, not included in the all inclusive ticket. Yeah, exactly, just like a cruise ship. So you, so yeah. you have to, um, yeah. I mean, you save a lot of money, uh, and so I always, I factored that in when I when I took the job. The pay for me is actually pretty much on par with what I would make back in the states. So I'm not getting I'm not getting paid like a million bucks to be here or anything like that. But I'm also not getting shortchanged. Um, it's pretty much on par with what a emergency room PA would make back in the States. So, which is my background. So yeah, but you do save a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's actually a pretty sweet gig in that way. Like if you're gonna, you're not going to have a lot to spend for that time. You get a mm -hmm. really cool lifelong dream bucket list item checked off and yep. a lot of cool new experiences and a uh, little money in the bank at yeah. the end. Yeah. It's, it can't, can't argue with that. <laughs> exactly. I have a super random question. I know we'll we'll run it out of time, so I'll I'll try to wrap it up. But how about exercise? Do you do you guys have a gym there, or do you uh, do do you do any like fitness classes together or anything? Yeah, actually, um, I've taken on that role a little bit, and being one of the medical providers here on station, is that some people will come to me and be like, "Hey, can you come up with a workout plan for me or a diet plan?" Um, which I'm happy to do because, like I said, we have 40 fairly healthy people on station here. So we don't do a whole lot in the clinic or mostly here for catastrophes. Uh, so I'm happy to help people out like that, but we do have a gym. Um, we have, it's not a full size basketball gym. It's maybe a, a, a third smaller than a, than a full size as far as the length. Um, and that actually takes up one of the, an entire pod. So we have four main pods that stick off from the station. And the, one of those whole pods is the basketball gym. So we play a lot of volleyball. Um, we started playing pickleball recently, actually. Some basketball definitely gets played. And then above that, above the uh, kind of overlooking the basketball gym is our weight room where we have all sorts of, um, you know, aerobic equipment like ellipticals and treadmills and uh, full complement of weights, bench press, dumbbells, squat rack, all that stuff and machines. Smith machine. So wow. yeah, we definitely have, um, you know, with all the free time we have down here, we definitely, it's a, it's a common thing to, for probably about half the station gets into the gym, um, pretty regularly. So, uh, it's definitely something you want to do for your mental health as well as your physical health is just stay engaged and, and exercise for sure. That's actually why I asked. Yeah. That was one of my main questions when I, when I took the job or when I was getting interviewed for the job, I was like, wait a minute. I, I think I actually accepted the job. And then I was like, wait a minute, do they even have a gym down there? Like, am I just going to like waste away and like go crazy because I can't work out? And then I found out, I saw some pictures online of like the weight room. I was like, oh, okay, good, good. They got everything I need. So yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of people do P90X nice. down here. No, no the, apples, but yeah, yeah. no apples, uh, but yeah, you know, yeah. you can P90X, work out. <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, or other, you know, video workout programs are popular too. So yeah, it's definitely, definitely essential. I, I'm glad they thought of that when they built the station. That they're like people need to work out and exercise. Great, you know, and dedicating yeah. a whole a it's whole so, pod. It's so to important it for great. mental health. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Good, good use of space there. 
for sure. Well, hey, I would, uh, I, I've learned so much and I've thoroughly enjoyed this and I could probably just keep talking to you for hours, but I know we got a uh, limited time here. It's really late or slash early in the morning there. So I'm going to, I want to let you go, but kind of just, just one last question, kind of coming back to your, we talked about this early on, like sort of the why, like why people come there, why you felt called there. There are people that got it and people that didn't. Um, but it seems pretty clear to me at least like why someone would want to do this, but for the, how would you kind of define like that in a general sense? Like, why do people feel called to come here and to return? Um, you know, obviously you have to overcome some, some struggles, some limitations. Some, some people would say it's a hard life, uh, an isolated life, but like, there's a, there's a really strong why there and a conviction. And so I'm just curious, like, what is, what is the why? Like, what, what do you, what, what resonates about Antarctica? Yeah. So for me, um, it really comes down to, I hate to say it like this, but it's almost like people who climb Everest. It's like, because it's there, you know, is part of the reason why yeah. I wanted to come down here. It's so remote. It's like the last frontier on earth that isn't totally overrun by people. I remember as a kid, just looking at a map, my parents in my house where I grew up had a you know giant wallpaper map of like the entire world. And I just would look all over it, looking for places that had been unexplored or places that could, you know, where is the adventure in the world now? And like, I would always come back to Antarctica and like, it just seemed like such a wild and harsh continent um, that I just, I have, it's always been in my mind to come here. And um, I think for people that have that same sense of adventure, they get it. Um, for people that want to stay warm and cozy and, um, you know, have access to their Netflix shows, which we don't get down here because our internet's not fast enough. Um, they won't get it. And that's fine. Like I totally get everybody's different and has a different bent and, and that's fine. Um, but as far as the why for everybody, there's kind of a saying down here. Um, and that is that you come the first time for the experiment experience, um, just to be on Antarctica and be in Antarctica or be at the pole. And just for the, the newness, the novelty of it, you come the first time for that. The second time you come back for the money because you realize how much you saved being here and not spending it back in society. And then the third time you come back because you realize this is where you belong or this uh, is the place where you feel most at home, strangely enough. And um, I think mm. that ties back into our other question of like, do people repeat? And that's, I think why it's like, because you find that if you come back a third time, you've basically found a community that you fit in with and that a lifestyle that you like and um, in a, in a place that's pretty fantastical. So uh, I think that's the best I can sum it up. Yeah. You, you summarized it well. Um, it was a pretty broad question, but uh, you hit the nail on the head. I feel like, like I can, I can totally understand the, uh, the, that vantage point. And, um, I understand it a lot better than I did an hour ago. So, uh, thanks so much, man. Th Joe, it's great to meet you. Great to hear a little bit more about your story. Um, I'm following along on social media. Tell, I'll put all this in the show notes as well, but tell people where they can learn more about your adventure. And, um, and if you don't mind also close with like where, what, what's next for, for Joe spins the globe. Sure. So yeah, if anybody wants to follow me on social media, I'm on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. All of them are Joe spins the globe. Uh, I have not, I've actually been really bad about updating my YouTube since I got here because we had some firewall problems with the internet and um, TikTok is also where I just kind of blew up and got up to a million followers the other day. So kind of been ignoring my other social medias for TikTok, unfortunately, but I'm going to get back to those other ones. Uh, what's next for me is going home um, or maybe actually traveling through New Zealand if the government uh, allows us to on our way back through, which would be awesome. I'd love to do three weeks in New Zealand. But long term, what I'd like to do is um, continue traveling. If you go to my YouTube, you can see a lot of my former travels. Um, I'd like to continue bringing uh, and showing the world just rare and wondrous places on the earth, places that you may have never seen before um, or a side of the world that you've never seen before. And uh, I plan on continuing that, continuing doing that as long as I can. Um, I don't know if any place can actually top the South Pole, but I'm sure going to try. So, yeah, you, you've hit the pinnacle early on, but, yeah. um, you know, like I think that's such a fun mission to take the road, less traveled show. Yeah. There's, there's so many corners of the world 
that are yet to really be explored, uh, which is hard to imagine sometimes. Yeah. You know, I'm living like I live in Europe, which sometimes feels a little bit like Disneyland, like yeah. especially when all the tourists are here and stuff. You're like, it's just like people, big tour groups walking through and you yeah. think like, how can you? And, and in fact, like my I, I can say like we were just on a vacation and trying to get into deep into nature, quote unquote, in uh -huh. Switzerland. OK. And like my wife was like going crazy a little bit because she was like she tried to go like find like a quiet place by a, a river to meditate. And like there were people everywhere, you know, everywhere you go, there's like some you could hear somebody, even if you're in a, you know, kind of a quote unquote remote place. And so it's just kind of funny, like like in in the society that we're living in, it's, it's sort of tough to find like these really remote places, but it's super yeah. cool that you are finding them and then sharing them uh, with yeah. the world. It's, it's really fun to watch. That's my motivation is to find them, show them to the world. So hopefully I can keep doing that. <laughs> yeah. Please do, man. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story and staying up late. And uh, I will, uh, I will look forward to continuing to follow the journey. Sounds good, Chase. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. I had a great time. And um, to all your listeners out there, hope you enjoyed and uh, hope you are as fascinated with the South Pole now as I am. Thanks a lot. I'm sure they are. Talk to you right. soon. See ya. Thanks for tuning in today from wherever you are in the world. Once again, I'm Chase, and this has been another episode of About Abroad. For those of you wondering how you can best support the show, I have made it super simple for you. Just go over to the show notes of the episode that you just finished listening to and click on one of the two following links. Aboutabroad.com slash newsletter to get our monthly newsletter. No spam, guaranteed. Or ratethispodcast.com slash aboutabroad where you can quickly and easily leave a review for the show. It's not just important to me. It also helps more wanderers just like you find us. Finally, don't forget to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice, and we will see you again next week. Thanks again. Hasta luego, amigos.